All right. I am recording. So, hi, Elisa. Hello, Garance. How are you? I'm really good. I'm happy to see you again. Me too. And I think you just keep looking more and more amazing. And I want to say you're not 22, but you do look no. like <laughs> No, I mean, I hope that the gray gives it away. <laughs> yeah, so you're just leaving it, right? I've never colored my hair. It, you know, I, sometimes I think about it, but um, I haven't figured out how I would go about doing that in a way that's aligned with my values. So I, <laughs> I, uh, I just sort of am leaving it as an experiment for now. But yeah, no, I'm in my... You know, it's so funny because it's a big conversation that we've had, you know, with my community. I, I want to color my hair because I'm, I don't know, I think I'm very insecure <laughs> or something. But at the same time, when there is like some whites that pop, I'm like, oh, it's so charming. And when you look as fresh as you do, I think you can do anything, you know? Oh, that's very sweet. I'm going to talk to you every day. <laughs> so um, we, were, we were talking about you a lot in our conversation, um, conversations on, you know, my, with my community and all that. And I... Um, Hello, community. It's so nice <laughs> to meet you all. <laughs> And um, we all love you and we all have so many things that, you know, we talk about that have to do with hormones and I thought it would be great to bring you with us and also you have a new book coming out and I want to talk. It's out. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to talk about that too and I know it's kind of going further. Um, you basically like in my, in my mind, you really have created a whole approach to, you know, women's health. And honestly, when you look at all the questions we have, you realize how much we need that and how much we need more knowledge and how left out we are in a way about, you know, our, our hormones, our reproductive health, our menopauses, our PMSs and all that. And that's all been treated like, you know, afterthoughts for so long. And I think your work is amazing. So first, I would love for you to explain to those who don't know you, even though most of us know what you do, your approach to women's health, just like a little bit of a... I've you know, it's funny, I've never been asked that question that way. So let me think, what is my approach? I think fundamentally what I'm interested in is that we understand the deeper mechanisms of the function of our hormones and then learn how to support that so that we can evolve beyond this conventional model which does two things as you pointed out so painfully before is that it has excluded us um, you know, it's not in your head that you feel like these issues are not talked about or given enough attention. Women are actually left out of medical fitness and nutrition research. So there is not enough information about how your body works. So there's that coupled with the sort of top-down symptom management approach, which is really not effective, right? Because you're going to be chasing yourself around all day long, managing one hot flash or a cramp or a headache. I mean, it's a breakout. There's a, you cannot um, possibly keep up with a symptom management approach. It's too complicated and it's not the way the body works. So if we can understand the deeper functions of the body and learn to support its preferred mechanisms, 
then the body starts to thrive. And so it's my uh, version of biohacking in a very female specific way, which is less about adding things in and mm-hmm. more about working with what is and allowing it to do what it's supposed to do. Because what I've learned in 20 years of researching the, the female body, especially through the lens of hormones, the endocrine system, is that we have been gifted by nature with a seriously powerful set of systems, you know? Yeah. Um, I feel like I, I hold myself back from saying superior, <laughs> but, uh, but when I do the comparison in the first couple of chapters of this new book, I just want you, be, I want you to really know, like, comparatively speaking to men, for example, you have a much more powerful brain, you have a much more efficient metabolism, you have a much stronger immune response, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that I think is an important distinction because we've been told the opposite, that we are the weaker sex, that we have the curse of hormones, that we are mysterious, unpredictable, problematic. And the narrative that is based on this false science is, uh, it's just got to stop. You know, the truth shall set us free. And I think the truth about women's bodies, especially, uh, it's an important piece of our evolution as women to really not just survive in this environment, but to start to thrive. I, I just, I cannot tolerate women having all these unnecessary symptoms. We, we deserve better. And not even knowing which door to knock on when you know problems happen or you know questions rise and that's also why it's, you'll see the questions of the community are so interesting because you realize how lost we are and me you know the first i sometimes have no idea where to go and um where to find resources and so that's why your books and your community have been such you know bibles for that and a lot of us have read your first book and you know i'm starting to read the second book and i think you know you're really creating something um necessary um so most of your approach um is uh, you know through nutrition um cycle syncing which i'd love for you to explain to us a little bit um it definitely changed my life um and i want to say that I'm not somebody that follows rules. Like, you know, I'm having a glass of wine right now. It's about seven here and I still drink coffee. And so, you know, I think sometimes we can be scared by um, approaches that are, you know, but- Restrictive. Yeah, yeah, too restrictive. Um, And you give a lot of advice, but, you know, even without following everything, you know, to to the, I think really, this ideas that you have, you know, infused in me have literally changed my life. And I talk about them often with women. So do you want to tell us a little bit? I know, you know, just knowing that when I have my period, it's okay for me to rest. Amazing. Changed my life. Yeah. Well, let me, let me back up and I'll, I'll just explain one new piece of information that's, you know, because this new book in the flow is, um, breaking ground on a particular new thing called the infradian rhythm. This is the first book to describe the infradian rhythm and 
the cycle syncing method that I created mm-hmm. is really a, a method by which you deeply support the infradian rhythm. And so you might think to yourself, well, gee, why do we need to do that? Well, let's look at the circadian rhythm just quickly as a, as a comparison. Everyone has a circadian rhythm. It's so, we used to just think, you know, let's say 20 years ago, we thought, oh, circadian rhythm, yes, we know about it. It governs the sleep-wake cycle. Then they started doing this very famous now Boston nurses studies. And they said, well, what happens to a person if they completely disrupt this circadian rhythm and they work all night and they're awake all night and they sleep during the day? What, what does that do to a body? And they, they were uh, pretty shocked at how profoundly the impact of circadian disruption is on many systems of the body. It will make you sick in the short term, the, you know, the highlights are it makes you sick in the short term and then long term, it increases dramatically your risk for developing diseases of inflammation, heart disease, diabetes, cancer, dementia. So then they started putting a lot of funding behind, let's learn more about the circadian rhythm. And it turns out that it affects much more than just the sleep-wake cycle. It governs the timing of a lot of bodily processes. For example, when your blood pressure is more um, elevated versus more rest, when your bowel movements are more active, when they're least active. And that, that's an important thing. That In fact, two years ago, two scientists were awarded the Nobel Prize for discovering which genes actually code for your circadian rhythm because it touches and affects everyone. But then I kept looking at the fact that, you know, I've been taking care of women for 20 years and we are now at a statistical point where 47% of women are suffering from hormone issues. Mm -hmm. And this is after, after the past five years of uh, you know, in the wellness media, even in mainstream media, the menstrual, uh, normalization, right? We've been mainstreaming menstruation in articles. There's conversations about hormones that were happening now that I promise you were not happening 20 years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. In the past five years, things have shifted, thanks in large part to millennials on social media and uh, femtech female-founded companies, you know, trying to break some ground in this area. So I was all excited thinking, great, we're going to start to see this number go down. It's going up. Right. Wow. So I just started asking myself, what is the root cause, the deeper root cause of all of this disruption on so many levels for women, not just with their periods, but their fertility and perimenopause and everything else that they're struggling with, their weight, their immune response, their stress and anxiety. Women are reporting extreme levels of anxiety, you know, and depression. And it's not just during the COVID pandemic, it's before that, right? Why is this getting worse for women? And, it, and that's when I um, really started to look at the infradian rhythm, which I don't know why we haven't looked at it before. There is, it's a whole other biological rhythm that has been known, but I'll tell you, I've been on book tour for this book now for I launched at the end of January, so almost seven, seven months. I've talked to many doctors who've never heard of it before. I had never heard of it. I'm not a doctor, but I had never right. heard of it before. Right. But we've all heard of the circadian rhythm, right? And so this is what I mean about when you say we're being left out, this is a great example of what that looks like in mm-hmm. research. But it turns out that this infradian rhythm affects six key systems of your body, your brain, 
your metabolism, your microbiome, your stress response system, your immune system, and your reproductive system, which includes the trinity of your period, your fertility, and your sex drive. Right. So if we are fundamentally disrupting oh. this infradian rhythm, that is the answer to why are we suffering with so many different problems at such a great volume versus men? Because it turns out since they're constantly included in medical fitness and nutrition research and their circadian rhythm, which follows their hormonal pattern, is very deeply studied and investigated, everything that they're getting told, what to eat, which workouts to do, intermittent fasting, da 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 da, da all of that is optimizing their function, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So they can be healthier, more effortlessly, yeah. which is what you are supposed to have too, but no one's told us about this infradian rhythm. And so everything you've been doing is adopting these diets and programs and lifestyles that are designed to optimize that male hormonal biological rhythm. And they're actively disrupting your infradian rhythm. And it's causing dysfunction in those six systems of your body. And you're spending time and money trying to figure out how to address symptoms in all these systems and making no progress. Yeah. And it's, and that's frustrating, but that's the good news too, is that the, so the method, the cycle thinking method is, is this approach that I created to really deeply, you know, support and align with this infradian rhythm. And the three key pillars are, you know, what you're eating when, Mm -hmm. Which workouts you're doing when? Well, yes, the, the infradian rhythm, just to explain. Yeah. So the circadian, from what I understood, the circadian rhythm is a daily... Um, we experience it over the course of a day. A day. And the infradian rhythm we experience over the course of a month. Right, which is what is definitely much more in line with what women experience because every day is different. Um, you know, in a woman's cycle. So that's what we're talking about. That's right. That's yeah. Right. But as I said, like the circadian rhythm goes beyond just the sleep-wake cycle, your infradian rhythm goes way beyond just your period. Right, right, right. And that's the breakthrough here. That's the breakthrough understanding is that it, your relationship to your self-care has to have your biological rhythm at the center. Otherwise you're never going to feel as good as you're designed to feel. And so you were saying, I cut you, but you were saying it has to do with your diet, um, the way you move, your exercising. And, and then your time management, oh, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. Because you operate with two clocks as a woman in her reproductive years. Just oh, and just to be clear, you only have access to your infradian rhythm from your first bleed to your last. Oh, mm -hmm. so it's only active for you know four to five decades, depending on your length of your reproductive years. You start your life with just a circadian clock, and then postmenopausally, you will only also have a circadian clock. And that's important to know. So, but while you are having your reproductive years, you have a two clock system, a circadian and an infradian. And so it's important for you to learn how to manage time and what you're working on in a way that's sustainable as opposed to squeezing everything in, in that 24 hour um, time limit. 
um, which is also true of the diet and exercise. You've been conditioned to believe that you're a smaller version of a man who has a slower metabolism, who needs to just work out more intensely every day. And so you thinking you're being good equals, I'm going to eat the same calories every day. I'm going to do the same intensity workout every day. And I'm going to do my same work schedule every day. This actually is going to disrupt your infradian rhythm and cause your metabolism to, to go crazy, your stress levels to go up your mood to be destabilized, your productivity to go down, mm -hmm. right? And so that's what happens if you don't take care of it. But when you do, all those things are the opposite, right? Your metabolism is humming along, your stress levels are lower, you feel more clear and focused, you get more done with less stress. And yeah, and I, and I think also just the idea that you finally understand where your moods come from, when you need to rest. You know, I think we've, we're in such a, a society of productivity that when we have a day when we're down or we're experiencing, you know, I know, you know, just listening to my PMS dramatically changed the way I experienced them. Just being like, okay, something need to, needs to be looked after. I need to talk about that problem because it keeps coming back before my period. So I think this system to me is the most, I mean, how it changed me is really to be more forgiving and more understanding with myself and start there. And then, you know, of course, implementing, you know, the small diet changes, um, you know, the, the, the different way of working out uh, through the month and all that. But I think these are things that, you know, we can find in your book and, and following, you know, your work, you have an app and all that. Um, and we'll go more into details because I have like all these questions. And I think through your answers, we're going to be able to understand the way you think and the way, you know, uh, to do um, the cycle thinking and to get in line or like in phase with your, um, with your rhythms. So um, it's funny because you'll see how much, there's so many words and there is so much like, we've, we've learned stuff, but, but there's some real gaps of understanding of, of what they are. Um, a lot of us, I think, are very curious, and I am very curious. I want to get my hormones checked, and I do not know where to start. Who should I, should I go see? Which hormones do I need to check? And how to read into them? And do I need to do that? I'm 45, uh, probably perimenopausal. I still have my period the same, but... Um, what has changed i i you know i oh yes um i'm curious because i have fibroids and i don't know like you know it, just to give you an example i've had fibroids forever and um 50 of the doctors that i saw told me to get rid of them and the other half told me no no you, you don't get rid of them so i don't know so how do you start when you want to start exploring that do you need to go check your hormones it's a great thing to do and to actually, I think, get a reading. I mean, keep in mind that I think it was 2016 that the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecologists decreed that your cycle is your fifth vital sign of health. So I think when you go for your annual exam mm -hmm. with, your, with your gynecologist that you also get an annual blood draw to check your hormone levels. And some people say, well, what about, is there a certain time of the month that you should get them checked? 
nowadays it doesn't matter when you go because um, we know what the, the value range for each of these hormones should be depending on where you are in your cycle. So what you should do is whenever you go in to get your blood work, know which phase you're in. Yes. Okay. okay? So let's say you go in and you go in during ovulation. Great. So you're, you're going to expect to get ovulatory level ranges of your hormones when you get your test results back a week or two later, though you might now be bleeding and you're you know, right. having that phase of your cycle. So it's important to just make a mental note. Mm -hmm. um, then, you know, you want to always check the same things, right? We want to check estrogen levels, progesterone levels, testosterone. Um, I always like to check um, thyroid hormones. So all TSH and T4 and T3 levels. And then, you know, if they're able to do any sort of cortisol level checking, I think that's good too. Right. Um, and depending on your gynecologist, right, if they're more traditional, they may just do a basic panel. Mm -hmm. Also, you should ask for vitamin D3 levels. Okay. Uh, because that plays an enormous role in your hormonal health. 93% uh, of infertility uh, is linked to substandard vitamin D3 levels, right? 93% of infertility <laughs> cases. So uh, always be getting that checked. It's also linked to, you know, breast health. It's, it's so important. So that should be part of the standard panel, but you may have to ask for it. Right. You may also want to find yourself a general practitioner who is a functional medicine doctor if you can. Right. So someone and a functional medicine doctor is just, you know, could be a naturopath, it could be an osteopath, it could be an MD, but someone who is interested in looking at micronutrient levels and other biomarkers like inflammatory markers like C-reactive protein and other things that have to do with the, how well your body is performing, how well it's aging, if you have any inflammaging kind of things mm -hmm. going on, uh, looking at your gut microbiome. And that would also be something that you would do annually to just really just take a check and see how all your levels are, both from a hormonal standpoint and all of these other biomarkers, right? So you'd need two different practitioners for that. And what about endocrinologists? We've been talking about this. Um, is that because like, you know, we were asking who should you go see if you want to get your hormones checked? Because often, um, I think a lot of us that have gone to see gynecologists, the thing was just brushed off, you know, those stats. So it's, you know, you get there and it gets brushed off and you don't know where to go next. So, yeah, that's a good point. It is that is a real phenomenon. Women's concerns are dismissed. You know, this is a real, this is a, they actually can, they've done studies in live settings where um, a man and a woman will come into a, the same doctor and complain about pain. And if it's a female patient, the doctor will dismiss it and tell her she must be imagining it. And then if it's a male patient, he'll, he or she, the, either gender or physician will take it very seriously because it's, you know, it's all connected, right? How, we, how we've been taught to think about our bodies. It has a, affects even how doctors think about our bodies. So if you're in a situation where your gynecologist is not receptive to you, is um, 
not acknowledging your concerns or taking them seriously or entertaining your requests for you know lab you know workups then you need to find another gynecologist <laughs> yes okay no i mean i mean that very seriously yeah. there are plenty of excellent amazing caring thoughtful doctors and i find especially the younger ones now who have grown up in the world of the wellness conversation, the functional medicine exposure that they've had just in their own lives are going to be much easier for you to find that simpatico kind of vibe with um, that are going to really get why you'd want to look at those things as opposed to trying to brush you off. So um, yeah, I would say give a younger doctor a chance because they are going to be more open-minded to those things. If you are stuck because of insurance or whatever limitations are, I know you have an international community and we do too, you know, there are certain things that you just have to go through certain channels, right? Then yes, you may need to go see an endocrinologist who will specifically look at all these different hormone levels for you. Unfortunately, it isn't as easy as it should be mm -hmm. for you to get this information. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's why, yes, that's why your work is important. You know, and there, there are some wonderful, at least in the United States, I don't, I'm sure there are uh, companies doing this in Europe, um, where you can order at home hormone testing kits. Some of them are saliva based. Some of them you use like a, a pinprick finger drop of blood. Um, and then you mail it into a lab facility and they run the test and you just pay, it'll be like $200 or something in the US. And then you get a medically reviewed lab result from that report, uh, from that lab. And then, you know, you can kind of take matters into your own hands if you can't quite find the right doctor. But yes, it is, it is not easy. It's not as easy as it should be. So I, I can appreciate why people feel like, well, what, how do I get this information? Now, that being said, don't get hung up on getting the, the information as the thing that will, you know, that you have to wait for in order for you to take action. Because the truth of the matter is, if you're having symptoms, any kind of symptoms, or hormonal symptoms, that's your body's direct and clear biofeedback that your hormones are not balanced. Yeah. Right. You're going to find the backup data in the lab work, but the facts are already in right the report's already in so to speak you're having symptoms something's not working so what you want to do is like i said the period is your fifth vital sign you want to start to condition yourself to react differently so for example garance when you have a fever mm -hmm. what do you do nothing <laughs> well <laughs> You know what to do, right? You take it seriously, yes. You know, you might drink extra water. You might have somebody make you chicken soup. You'll rest. Maybe you take something to reduce the fever. Maybe yeah. you don't. But you, you become activated yes. around dealing with the, the, the fever because that's your... I know something is happening and I'm taking it seriously. Exactly. Yeah. So your temperature is one of your vital signs. Mm. And you been conditioned societally to react to it in that particular way of concern and immediate attention. The problem is, even though your cycle has just a few years ago been decreed your fifth vital sign, you have been conditioned society for millennia to ignore it. But it is the equivalent of having a fever or having elevated blood pressure. Other vital signs that go off when they measure them in the ER 
things get really hyperactive when those vital signs are not working right, right? So if you have PMS, if you're having humongous cramps or heavy bleeding or clotting, you know, this is the equivalent of having a fever. You got to take action right away. And that's, um, that would be, you know, one of the the big questions um, and something that I feel a lot of us have. I, I don't have it anymore, but I used to experience and I think the fact that I followed your protocol helped a lot. But I used to um, feel crazy PMS, like break up with my boyfriend, PMS, like quit my job, PMS, um, cry like crazy and hating myself for it, obviously, because, you know, you always need to add a layer because I thought it was my fault. And uh, um, that plus, um, you know, swelling and feeling terrible for a week. Sometimes it was two weeks. And then I ended up making the math that I was spending most of my time in a shitty state of mind. And um, do you do you have, you know, I think some of us um, were asking about what type of treatments. I kind of think I know your answer. And I would say start by trying to understand your cycle. Uh, but what would be your recommendation for that? Oh, I think we got cut. Uh-oh. If it's PMS or PMDD. So the different DD, um, the, the body and the brain have the, uh, the inverse response to the, pro- the rise in progesterone. And instead of it having a calming effect, it has an, it's sort of a, a, an antagonizing effect. Mm-hmm. And in fact, um, the new research that's coming out, it, it has also is the way it inter- interacts with the GABA um, in the brain. Um, that new research is coming out that what you need is to be taking uh, an extra dose of progesterone during your luteal phase to deal with PMDD. But for most of us who have just PMS, where you feel moody, tired, cranky, bloated, breast tenderness, crampy, exhausted, you know, uh, hating things, so to speak, irritable, right, would be the way to say that. Um, If it's that kind of PMS, then what that typically is, is too much estrogen and not enough progesterone. Mm-hmm. Um, so two different things. So just try to understand the intensity of your symptoms. And if it's more garden variety PMS, which can be very intense, but doesn't feel like a mood dysfunction, um, and you don't have other symptoms, then, you know, you might want to look more in the direction of PMDD, but with PMS, um, and in your case makes a lot of sense because fibroids can only grow in this sort of situation where you have lots and lots of excess estrogen that's not being addressed properly, right? So that's, you're going to see that with fibroids. You're going to see that with your heavy bleeding. You're going to see it with PMS. You're going to see it with ovulation where you might have breakouts during ovulation. It's not just that you'll notice PMS. You're going to start to see throughout the cycle the effect of having too much estrogen. Um, you would, with PMS, you would want to start to do things to help your body make more progesterone, like take vitamin B6, mm-hmm. right? And then also you'd want to do things to um, help break down that estrogen. So, you know, we have our now well-loved four-day estrogen detox where you eat foods that help your liver 
break down estrogen and then you help your large intestine get it out of your body quickly, right? And women report feeling like really refreshed after this because you, you can only do this detox, let's say during the follicular, the ovulatory phase anyway. And so when your estrogen is starting to rise and it really makes a difference to notice what that feels like. And then you go into your luteal phase with less estrogen to oppose even if you still have insufficient progesterone, you'll notice overall that your PMS is a little bit better. So is I that, think it's just- that, really um, is, it, is it this four day um, detox or how, I don't know how you call it. Is it something that's uh, part of your program and is it something that you would do every month or something when you feel you need it? I think you do it when you feel you need it, but I think if you're, for example, feeling the like, you know, in two weeks, you're going to have PMS, I would do it right now. Just, right. just do it now. And that way we'll start to help offload mm -hmm. some of that estrogen dominance that makes PMS so much worse. Mm -hmm. But you have to recognize that PMS is this hormonal imbalance that you have to address. Right. You have to make it right, right? Where you have more progesterone and slightly less estrogen. That's what we want. That's when no PMS exists. And that's very achievable mm -hmm. by, you know, working with your cycle. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, then you would say, well, gee, well, why don't I just take some progesterone cream and not worry about the estrogen? Well, first of all, not all progesterone creams are created equal. Um, it's always better to work with somebody who's, you know, used to prescribing bioidentical hormones, but even those topically um, maybe are slightly less effective than the oral versions, but then the oral versions are more synthetic. So it's, it's, you just, if you can avoid having to use this other modality, it's easier A. And then B, you really do want to take seriously your estrogen metabolism because estrogen in the right amounts is what makes women women, right? We're beautiful, the skin, the hair, the everything, the curves, but too much estrogen is toxic. It's what can lead to cancers. It's what can lead to emotional upset. It's what can, you know, as you progress throughout your reproductive journey, leading, you're moving towards your postmenopausal life having too much estrogen, uh, you know, can be w one of the reasons why we're having vaginal dryness and things of this nature where you just, you know, even though you're going to be making less and less of it, you want to help your body, your liver and your large intestine break down that estrogen and get it out of your system. And so, yeah, there, it, it, it's funny because you've been touching upon um, these, these questions, but so if if I if I have fibroids and I've never had anybody tell me what to do, you know, what would be like? Isn't that shocking? Yeah, it's so shocking. It's like yeah. remove them or keep them. It, but it, well, it's just it's just a strange. I mean, I let's. I just like to pause and think about that. Like Lena Dunham went a decade without being diagnosed mm -hmm. with endometriosis. And then the best that modern medicine could offer her was a hysterectomy. It's incredible. What is endo endometriosis? Yes. It's where the lining, the endometrial lining of the uterus can start to grow outside of the uterus. And so you can imagine as that is very responsive to prostaglandins, if it adheres to, let's say, your bowel or your bladder, it can cause a lot of pain and cramping you know, throughout the cycle, it's really not a good situation. Um, 
it has an autoimmune aspect to it as well as a hormonal aspect to it. It's a really unique um, condition. But the fact that we have so little research, so little support, and that women go almost a decade on average without being properly diagnosed, this just would not exist if this was affecting men. Yeah, it's incredible. It's really not, the gender bias piece is really unfair. And I bring that up not to sound like a broken record. I bring it up because you need to know so that you are properly motivated to advocate for yourself. Yes. No one is going to just make this easy for you, right? For example, your story in and of itself, you've been living with all these fibroids all these years. You have no idea what you should do. No one seems to be giving you a straight answer. And so you've done nothing. Just think about any man that you've known who's had any medical issue. Has it lingered for decades without a clear path for a solution? No. No. Yeah. (laughs) No. No. Well, also, it hasn't been where, you know, you're like, yeah, all women get them. You'll be fine. They will, they will go away when you hit menopause. Meanwhile, I went through infertility and all that. And, you know, of course, these things got kind of, so, so I had them checked and they're, oh, they're not in a way and all that. Still, I don't know. I, you know, I know that there is um, an estrogen, you know, imbalance, but what do I do about it? And all this, this has been like, you know, the story of my life of not being able to find any answers. And the same way, you know, I think that's why all these questions were so interesting because, you know, um, there's the question about fibroid, which, you know, if you have any answers or like at least like, you know, directions for which to look at, I'd love to hear. But there are also questions like about light periods, heavy period, um, you know, and contraception, which, you know, we can go into because um, a lot of women still take the pill or IUD and have a lot of questions and have no idea what's going to happen once they stop, if they want to. So there are so many questions, but I would love to hear about, you know, like fibroids and um, different intensities of bleeding. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, with fibroids, there are some specialists, at least in the United States, usually affiliated with, um, you know, university hospitals that will do some sort of training for other doctors. But if you can find yourself a five, like basically a a gynecological surgeon who specializes in fibroids, that's where you're going to get your best answer. I would not, you will not get a satisfactory answer from a generalist. You need someone and, and you have to go out of your way to try to find these people. But there are people who just all day long do surgeries to address fibroids and those would be the people you would want to work with, not a generalist. Because there are different ways to approach them. They have to be treated with extreme caution, um, you know, but the, some of the better technology that's being evolved has to do with some sort of ablation therapy where they essentially um, use a small bit of, of um, you know, like laser technology and they ablate the, the blood vessel that feeds the mm. fibroid. So right. instead of removing it and potentially damaging the, the uterus itself, which is the concern um, from a fertility point of view is to have this scar tissue, right? Yes. If you were to simply f- 
just kill the blood supply, right? Mm-hmm. And the fibroid itself will then shrivel up and potentially shrink to a size that's less problematic, but you also then don't have the scar tissue. It, that could be a, 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 an interesting first step to take as opposed to going from this one extreme or the other. And these extremes are what you've been hearing, which is do nothing mm-hmm. and hope that you can get pregnant in the presence of these fibroids. And again, there are many different kinds of fibroids. There's intramuscular, there's pedunculated, there's internal. So depending on which, if, if they're inside the uterine wall or they're hanging into the uterus itself, those are the most problematic from a fertility point of view. But if, you know, it's, so it's either do nothing or it's, you know, cut them out and risk the scar yeah. tissue, you know? And so this, you know, this ablation therapy is an, is an interesting middle ground and you can, you don't have to do them all. You could do a few, the biggest ones, mm-hmm. you know, and see if that helps. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, that in and of itself cannot be your only recourse because you then again have to address what, what has triggered this event to occur in your body in the first place. These things do not just happen out of nowhere, mm-hmm. right? So there's something happening with your diet and your lifestyle that is making it harder for your body to break down estrogen or be exposed to more, you know, synthetic forms of xenoestrogens that you're being stimulated by that's, that is problematic. And this is not just something that affects women with fibroids. I mean, keep in mind, I think the statistic is, and I may not have this completely accurate in terms of the dates, but something like a hundred years ago, the, the average first age of menarche, the first bleed was 16 right? Which was why when you look at all these stories, like, you know, legends of like kings and queens, they'd, that first, 16 was marriageable age because that was typically when you'd get your first period, right? right? Okay. And even though that seems preposterously young to us today, you know, people didn't live as long. And so 16 was a good time to start, right? (laughs) But we have added, introduced so many chemicals into our environment in the past 100 years that now the average age of the first period is like 11 or 12. Mm -hmm. And we know that the earlier you get your period, that is, has, that has negative health consequences for you. So this precocious puberty, you have to look back and say, well, gee, how old were you when you got your first period? And, you know, some women report that they got it at the age of nine or 10 these days. It's, it's, it's becoming a big problem. So, um, and, and that's something else that I wanted to say too, in terms of how I want you to be thinking about this. It's all part of a, a continuum. Yeah. Right. So this issue around your fibroids, um, and what your experience is going to be like with perimenopause and postmenopause, it's all connected. And so the time to get into action is not later in the game. Mm-hmm. It's at the beginning of the game. Yeah. Right? You know, I have a little girl, she's five and a half. And because she has inherited some of my, you know, genetic background, right? I'm assuming she may have some predisposition for hormonal stuff, right? So obviously, I don't want to wait till her first period to help her body evolve. I want to start her on that path from the beginning, right? Mm -hmm. Where I limit her xenoestrogenic exposure to chemicals. I make sure she's eating organic food. I limit her consumption of 
cow-based dairy, almost no gluten. Why would I wait when I know it's all part of a continuum? Or, you know, or at least let's start with these young girls at 13, 14. If we teach them that they have agency to improve their symptoms by changing their inputs uh, with diet and lifestyle, you can then change the trajectory of how you experience your health, your hormones, and your body for the other decades of your life, for the other big transitions like pregnancy and fertility, like perimenopause and like postmenopause. So before I start in like a few more, more you know, questions that are more detailed, would you tell us um, a few of you know, your fundamental rules when it comes to exercise and nutrition? Because um, you, you know, you've been touching upon them, but um, yeah, like how do we protect ourselves from these toxins and how do we nourish ourselves a little bit better to start? And then of course, I encourage everyone to you know, read the books and, and all that, because there is so much, just what you were talking about with supplements that are so important today. Um, so we won't be able to get into the details here. I know, <laughs> there's so much to talk about. I know, there is, I mean- I'll try uh, yeah. to give a quick, but I, yeah. I agree. I think if you really want to get the full, you know, breadth of everything, you know, this, this new book is a great place to start. Um, but essentially some important things would be to eliminate any sort of endocrine disruptive chemicals from your home, from your cleaning products, from your skincare products, from your food, you know, sources, mm -hmm. right? So if you read a label and it's got something that you can't pronounce, or you can't identify, you know, I, I always joke, sometimes my husband will come home with a loaf of bread and I'll say, let's look at this label together. You know, and, it, and in the United States, this is, this is particularly funny because you can flip over a loaf of bread expecting to see flour, water, yeast, salt. Yeah. And it's 20 items in like an organic chemistry class of things you cannot pronounce that are bizarre. Yeah. So now, now he knows to only buy bread that has like four <laughs> ingredients that he can read. <laughs> but you know, that's just funny because it's bread, but look everywhere, look everywhere, because that's, that's typically the case that you'll see more chemicals than less. So you have to go out of your way to find them. Now, if you're living in Europe, the good news is they've banned over 1300 of these endocrine disruptive chemicals from common use in manufacturing. So you have an advantage there, but in the United States, that has not been the case. You really have to become educated. So that's the first okay. thing. Um, for example, makeup. Mm -hmm. Everything I am wearing is like organic, natural, coconut-based. I do not, you, and, and I think that, and I've done this TV, you know, I did KTLA. I brought my own makeup. The makeup artist <laughs> was like, oh, don't you want to use all this like heavy duty? I was like, no, if you right. can use this one. Yeah. <laughs> or I'll do it myself, <laughs> you know, just because um, it's, you should never compromise. There's mm -hmm. too much, too much exposure everywhere that you can't control that the things right. that you can, you have to. Right. Then from a food point of view, you know, um, limit your exposure to gluten. So meaning you can have it, but don't have it constantly if you're suffering from a hormonal issue because it's likely creating some inflammation that's going to disrupt the gut and the gut microbiome and potentially inflame any sort of autoimmune trigger that you have. Um, 
cow dairy, depending on where you live, is very problematic, again, because it's tearing little tiny holes in your, in your intestinal tract, your small intestinal tract, which creates dysbiosis and inflammation. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. I didn't plan on this one. That's all right. <laughs> and, and what is called leaky gut. And we definitely want to avoid a leaky gut situation. So um, in Europe, the cows that they use are more the um, Jersey and uh, Guernsey cow. I think I may have that right. Mm -hmm. um, and then in the United States, it's the Holstein cow. And the Holstein cow is the problem. It's a massive cow with massive udders and it produces an A1 protein casein. That's the one that does all the damage. So if you can make sure that you're having A2 dairy only, so that's definitely goat, sheep, buffalo, camel, but Jersey cows are A2 protein. Mm -hmm. So just make sure you're keeping your dairy sources clean. And then it's really like, plant-based fiber every single day mm. um, and in various, various preparations. So sometimes raw, sometimes cooked, sometimes soups, but, you know, adding as much of that fiber in to help. And all that plant food is going to support the liver, making sure it has access to the micronutrients it needs. And then the gut to have the fiber it needs to get that excess estrogen out and right. keep, it, keep you safe. So those are some core pieces of just some quick things that you can do, but obviously the flow protocol is much more in depth. And then the cycle syncing method is a whole other piece of it as well. Right. So I'm going to, because I don't want to take all of your afternoon, I'm going to ask you um, a few questions that are more, you know, like in detail and you don't have to go super crazy. In we'll depth. do like rapid fire. I'll do my best. Sort of rapid fire. Um, some of them are kind of, of deeper. So um, do what you can. Um, but I've had a lot of questions around libido. Mm. A lot of us have um, issues with that. I've had them before. I don't have them right now. Uh, but can you tell us something about this? Like, I think, um, yeah, like lack of desire. Like, can we, can we talk about that? I love to talk about sex. <laughs> and I tell you why, because your sexual response is, a, it's like the missing supplement in your life. Like everybody's asked, well, what are the supplements we have to take? Well, one of the key supplements is your orgasm because what it does for you biochemically, what it provides for you is this huge boost in your immune response. It protects your heart. It slows down the aging process. It promotes healthy ovulation and fertility and vaginal tone. It protects your brain. Vitamin orgasm is wow. important for you to have. And when I was doing the research for this book, I came across a shockingly upsetting statistic that 60% of women are sexually unsatisfied. And that includes both a feeling of not having your needs met or not being interested and not having the response that you would like to from an orgasmic point of view. So it's a multifaceted thing when we say sexual response or desire or libido. It's not just, are you in the mood? It's, can you achieve an orgasm of, of note? Right. <laughs> so, so the thing that you need to understand is that your infradian rhythm 
modulates your sexual response across the month. And that's important because if you are making the determination that something is wrong with your sex drive, based on phases of your cycle where your libido is naturally lower or where you're naturally not self-lubricating, even despite stimulation, that would be an incorrect observation to make about yourself. You are not having low libido. You're just having a different phase of your sexual response. So for example, in the uh, follicular phase, this is a dry phase. This is a testosterone free phase, and this is an estrogen low phase. I wouldn't have anybody, I wouldn't have my husband come near me, anybody, my husband, (laughs) (laughs) you know, who else? My husband. (laughs) I would not have my husband come near me without like the lube in hand. Right, right. Like, do not come near me without that because it will not be a pleasurable experience. And what will happen is I will have the experience of friction. Friction is pain. Pain means stop. Right. And then you get mad. Yeah. And then you're in your head and then you hate your, your partner and then you worry what's wrong with you when that could be avoided if you knew that this was something to plan on. And libido the desire for sex in the follicular phase is not generated exclusively from stimulation of the body of the erogenous zones you have to first use the biggest organ sex organ which is your brain so you have to do something novel with your partner like and and typically where you can oxygenate so go outside because all that like go for a hike go for a big walk all that walking and breathing is going to boost your oxytocin levels. It's going to reduce your mental stress. And then when your partner maybe approaches you physically in one of your erogenous zones, like lays a kiss on you or grabs you in a way that you, you know, in, it lets you know he or she is thinking about being physical with you, you'll be receptive and interested. So mm-hmm. you have to help yourself. There's a game to play. There are different ways to play the arousal game in each of these four phases. The problem is that you think that it's supposed to be the same every time. Right, right. And then you run into this, these, this friction and you don't, and you, you assume that it's you, it's not you, it's that you just didn't play the game correctly. Mm-hmm. In the ovulatory phase, this is a estrogen high phase, a testosterone high phase, and a highly self-lubricating phase, right? Because of cervical fluid. You, you, can, you could be thinking about your taxes, <laughs> but if your partner came over and started stimulating you, you'd be like, okay, I'm going to put this down right now. I'm ready. Let's go. Right. Okay. So you know that that's the game to play, right? Luteal phase is a different one where we have um, a need for a little bit more um, of foreplay, more, more physical direct foreplay before we approach the clitoris. Um, and then in the menstrual phase, it's a dry phase. It's hor- all hormones are low. And I'll talk about perimenopause in a second too, just to add on to this. And um, we need lubricant, even though there's blood, it's, it's a dry phase. Um, and, in, and often we feel desire originating from the weight of the uterus on the nerve endings that attach to the vagina. So if you feel interested in sex, it's actually coming from your pelvic floor and the nerve endings there are feeling that delicious pressure from the heavier uterus and you could be interested in doing it then right so understand where your desire comes from 
as you navigate these four phases, it's extremely empowering, extremely liberating and precise because then you know what to ask for in right. order for you to optimize your orgasmic result, which is what you need to make sure you're doing for all the health benefits. Right. Now, perimenopause. Yes, and I've had a lot of questions about dryness, um, you know, and whatever happens when you get closer to menopause. So perimenopause has two stages, 35 to 45 approximately, mm -hmm. and then 45 to 55 approximately. But the, the biological, the, new, the chronological numbers are less important. It's more about there's a first half of it that's like the first half of the luteal phase, right? You're still ovulating and menstruating fairly regularly. You haven't had any of these stereotypical symptoms. And then the second phase, stage of perimenopause, and again, it can happen at any age, um, is when you start having the skipped missed periods, right? And less ovulation is taking place. This is normal, natural, supposed to take place and happen. With your sex drive, if you've been taught that you have to change your approach, right? During your four phases, just think how much easier you're going to be prepared, you and your partner, as you start going through this fluctuation with perimenopause, to be attuned to what you might need to make it work for you, as opposed to just hoping that it does, right? So you'll bring lubricant, you'll take more time for foreplay, you'll do things that put you in the right mental state, you'll make it an experience that is successful for you, mm -hmm. right? And your partner will understand that that's part of the process and not to have any problem helping you in that area, right? But without the information, they're going to be frustrated too, you know? So we all have to teach each other. Mm -hmm. Now, perimenopause as a whole in vaginal dryness, um, that has to do with the sort of slight decrease in estrogen production. There are um, a couple of different products that have, that have been released on the market that are great that you would actually use, um, you would apply them vaginally to help um, keep the, the, the tissue of the uter the vag sorry, the tissue of the vagina itself um, more thicker, essentially, because right. estrogen keeps it a little thicker. Um, and so one of those products is, is called Jolva, J-U-L-V-A. And another one is an herb that is called Poeria Marifica. And you can use this vaginally to help, you know, you use it daily, not just for a sexual point of view. Mm -hmm. Use that to just help strengthen that area of your body. But also you want to use this area of your body. So many of us, as we go through the aging process, because of children, stereotypically, we have less and less sex, and then there's atrophy of the vaginal area. You want to engage this part of your body, right? Like, you know what happens if you don't do your bicep and tricep curls, you get the saggy arm thing, and it's not pretty, right? It's a similar, you've got to, you know, it's a, we have to take care of our pelvic floor um, I'm not suggesting that you necessarily need to do Kegels, but what I'm suggesting is that you engage in self-pleasure and to keep that whole area of your body um, activated. And then every time you engage, right? So you're using the cream to help with the you're actively using this area of your body yourself, right? With self-pleasure to keep it activated. And then 
Um, you know, when you're engaging in sexual encounters with a partner, you're always going to use lubricant. Right. Right. And not make that, do not make that a thing. Yeah. That means something mm -hmm. that it doesn't. It just means that this is what you're just addressing what is just like we would I, do. I, in I, the I curricular travel phase. with my lubricant. Say that again. <laughs> I say I travel with my lubricant. That's I, right. And, you know, and by the way, you want different it. lubricants for different things, right? So you can use yeah. a coconut oil-based lubricant. Um, if you're, you know, depending on what you're doing, if you're using any sort of prophylactics, you know, condoms or things like that, then you need a, a specific type of lubricant for that. I really like Sustain. Um, mm -hmm. It's a brand in the U.S. that I like a lot. It's very natural. Um, if you're just doing any sort of other type of play, you could use a product like Aloe Cadabra, which is aloe-based, or you could use Coconut, which mm -hmm. is coconut oil-based lubricant. Um, you know, it's all good, and and changing it up is good too. Right. I have a few questions about menopause and um you know of course there is all the problems of weight um, sleep issues uh dryness that we were just talking about and we won't go into everything in you know deep but a lot of um our members asked about um hrt um you know which i think is hormone replacement and some of them have had amazing results and feel so much better, but that not, then they get scared of getting off of them. Um, I wonder what your approach, you know, what's your advice on that? Like, um, and yes. So, I mean, hormone replacement therapy in the conventional sense is, is very similar to taking like synthetic birth control, right? It's, it's okay. that they're synthetic hormones. So there, there's that version of it which I like less. Then there's the bioidentical version of hormone replacement therapy, which is, I would say more, you know, it's very precise, you know, it's, it's tailored to your body's levels. Um, but I'm looking forward to a future where we don't approach that in the same way again, because this is the top-down approach. It's saying, okay, hormones are levels are less. So let's top you up. Right. Right. What if we started the conversation and this, this may be my next book. I don't know, but it's, I keep, it's, I keep having this conversation with myself. What if we started approaching our postmenopausal years? What if we started preparing for that, you know, I mean, at 30, at 35? Yeah. Yeah. Which is when we should be starting to prepare for it because then Really, this is a natural process designed by nature where we should not be suffering. Mm -hmm. So if we do it correctly, if we biohack the perimenopausal journey properly, um, it, it shouldn't be that we need to top up on some of these hormones as to the extent that we do. And I think the women that experience the most relief are the ones that are in the deepest imbalance, right, leading up right. to it. Right, right. right. So, the, so what I'm saying is the more we, the less we take care of our hormones during our reproductive years, the more we have this sort of experience of crisis where we need medication to, to get any sort of normalcy back. And in that situation, you know, that is an appropriate action to take. But I think it would be wonderful to start to think about it completely differently to say, what can we do at 35 to start preparing for this known change? Mm -hmm. And to do it in a way that makes it, you know, 
eased into and effortless because there are women, I've talked to many of them who have had symptom-free perimenopause, symptom-free postmenopause. That should be the norm, not the exception. And I think the reason why it is the exception these days is because we mismanage our hormones from the jump. Mm-hmm. You know? So when when you um, want to, I guess it's it's as you were saying, it's the same as in a way being on the pill. What if you're getting ready and you know start following you know your work and decide I want to try to get off of my HRT or my you know get rid of my IUD or like you know some some of them have hormones or get off of the pill. Is there, is there anything women should know? Well, I mean, I think you'd want to be very cautious about that and, you know, really work with your physician. I wouldn't necessarily right. recommend just going, doing that at all cold turkey. What I would say is that the research is very clear because they do include postmenopausal women in some of these nutrition and, and fitness research that in fact, once your infradian clock has stopped ticking, meaning you've not menstruated for a year, you want to immediately start doing intermittent fasting. Mm. That's what I'll be doing, right? Mm. That's, that's the gold standard. The data is clear. Then once you're postmenopausal, that is the best way for you to approach managing your metabolism. Which is something you don't recommend. When it is contraindicated. Mm-hmm. In your reproductive years with an in- active infradium, it has the ex- exact opposite effect. Which is right? why I don't do it because I listened um, to your advice and I do feel like having breakfast because that's obviously usually the one you will skip. Um, having breakfast has a balancing effect on my emotions. Yeah. And, is, is, and it will slow down your aging process, your hormonal aging process by eating the right way in your reproductive years. But once you're postmenopausal, intermittent fasting is, I think, the best thing that you can be doing to manage your health, reduce inflammation, promote longevity, protect your brain, as is a combination of high-intensity interval training and strength training. You know, so you're going to work your cardiovascular with the HIIT workouts, but you're going to do a lot around protecting your bone density with super heavy weightlifting, right? You're not gonna bulk up, but yeah. you're just going to put weight on your bones. So really once you're postmenopausal, the, the game is um, how do I protect my brain, my heart and my bones? Because right. why those things, why am I focusing on that? Because you no longer have ovulation working on your behalf, doing that for you. Every single ovulation you had for those past 40 years of your reproductive years puts money in your health bank account. It's cardioprotective, neuroprotective, and osteoprotective. That's why you don't want to be on birth control pills in your reproductive years because it prevents you from ovulating and it robs you of your brain, heart, and health protection in in your postmenopausal years. So you want to really make the game about how do I make my bones super dense, which is from heavy lifting. Yeah. And you want to protect your brain, which is going to be in the intermittent fasting. And you want to protect your heart, which is going to come from this hit workouts, you know, seven minute hit workouts. You don't have to be crazy about working yeah. out, but that would be the game to play, right? But before that, be- before menopause, before you get back to the circadian rhythm, 
um, you actually are like one of the few that recommends shorter workouts, um, not, not too much high intensity, if I remember well. So it depends on where you are in the cycle. So if, you're, yeah. if you have an active infradian rhythm in the follicular phase and the ovulatory phase, you can do high intensity interval training and cardio. Mm-hmm. Post ovulation in the luteal phase and the menstrual phase, you must not do mm-hmm. high intensity interval training. You can do strength, super strength training. You can hold a plank till you pass out. You can squat up against a wall. You can do Pilates, lift heavy weights, but mm-hmm. do not jump up and down and run around. Mm-hmm. And it isn't because you're delicate. It's because because your metabolism speeds up and your resting cortisol rates are higher. If you do high intensity interval training after ovulation, you're going to turn on fat storage and turn on muscle wasting and create stress in the body. You don't want that. (laughs) You know, let's not just work hard as women. We work so hard. We take care of our friends, our families, our kids, our careers. We we are so well-meaning. We're so dedicated. We have such extraordinary commitment, dedication, and willpower. So there's no question in my mind that you can do absolutely anything you decide you want to do. But I'm here to give you this really important piece of good news, which is when it comes to taking care of your body and optimizing your health, you don't have to work so hard. You have to work strategically. Yeah. Right? Do the right things at the right time of this infrading clock. And then it is just easier, easier. And, and you get better results. Why wouldn't you want that? Definitely. Well, there would be 5 million other questions. I know. I so much to talk about. There's so much. <laughs> I have to do some sort of like retreat or conference or something because this is really like, there's, this is just the tip of the iceberg. It is, but it's so life-changing. And in every, it's not just, oh, my body, my health, it's my relationship to others. It's my relationship with my work. Starting there is, for me, it's been life-changing completely. And so that's also why I really wanted to, you know, have you and to start touching on these uh, subjects. And I think we'll offer um, our listeners, you know, some, I like, you know, maybe um, a few uh, subscriptions or like, you know, we'll, we'll work together to uh, make this program more available. But I, I, um, I truly think you're, you know, hopefully all these young gynecologists, you know, will be able to bring that more to the world and follow what you're doing because you were really in need of that. Um, I'm 45 and I'm only now discovering parts of my body. And I think, I hope that, you know, the younger generations will have much better knowledge and much better respect and love for who they are and the chance, you know, how lucky we are to be women. I love that. I, I, I hope so too. It's yeah, well, you're definitely doing the work. So thank you, thank you so, so, so much. Um, thank you, Garon. Is there anything else you want to add or did I just like kill you with questions? You know? No, it was, it was great. It was so great. <laughs> it was so great. great. Well, thank you again. And I uh, hope to see you again very soon. I would love that. Yeah. Mwah. Bye. Bye. <laughs> All right.